Sorry, my notes got out of order a little bit here. Got to put myself back together. All right. So as Pastor Michael mentioned last week, this morning I'm going to be talking about heaven. And I chose this topic because I think it's really one of the most misunderstood things that there is out there, not only just in the secular world, but also in the Christian world as well. Uh, maybe we can blame Hollywood a little bit on that. It seems like every time we see a picture of heaven, it's like clouds and smoke machines and like these glowing things and harps, and it just seems really, really boring. And I kind of fit into that really for a good majority of my life, even as a Christian, until we did a Bible study maybe four or five years ago, and it, it just totally blew my mind. Um, I just realized that I just had a totally incorrect and misguided uh, view of what heaven actually is and what it's like. And so this morning I'm going to try to cover a lot of ground uh, with a lot of scripture to try to paint a little clearer picture of what heaven is and what it isn't. And so the obvious place to start here would be to talk about what would happen immediately to a believer after we die. Um, Luke 16.22 gives us a really good picture of this. This is the uh, the parable about Lazarus. Uh, the beggar, and the rich man. And it's called a parable, but most theologians take this one literally for a number of reasons. And Luke 16, 22 says, So it was the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. So that's a pretty good start, I think. Um, being carried away by angels after we die, I think, is, is pretty awesome. And those of you that are familiar with um, Jim Elliott's story, he's a, a famous missionary from the 50s, But this sounds exactly like what happened um, in his story. So he was serving in South America, and he just had this burden that God had put on his heart to reach this really remote tribe that was a murderous tribe, and he knew it. They were very violent, um, but he just felt this strong calling to go out there, and eventually he did. And within a week, he and the four other missionaries that went out there were killed. And um, his wife, Elizabeth, two years later, gets kind of hooked up with um, somebody that was originally from that village, and she felt the same burden, like she had to go back, which is kind of crazy. (laughs) But um, she did. And when she goes back, she receives kind of a warm reception because of what happened after they died. The villagers said that after they died, there was these lights in the trees and singing, and then everything just went up and disappeared. And so pretty amazing what happened there, which sounds a lot like Luke 16, 22 here. And so, um, carried away by angels. By the way, angels don't have wings. I hate to burst your bubble if you think they do, but nowhere in the Bible do angels have wings. Um, Cherubim and seraphim do, um, but angels don't. And we don't turn into angels when we go to heaven. That's another thing we see a lot out there. Um, But another thing that's clear from this passage and others is that right after we die, we go immediately into the presence of God. Um, there's no soul sleep. Some teach that after we die, we're in this like timeless, restful period until Jesus returns. Um, there's not a lot of scriptural basis uh, for that, in my opinion. We can see in our Luke text here that immediately um, we're carried away. And in um, Philippians 1.21, um, it says this. This is Paul speaking. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Yeah, this is an amazing passage to me. Paul's like, you know, Paul's been through a lot. I mean, when he was on earth, 
I mean, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was jailed uh, over and over and over again. And so he's saying, to, to die, I know I'm going to be with Jesus. That's way better than earth. Um, even our best life on earth is, you know, heaven's going to be better than that. But he said, you know, I know that um, I'm supposed to help other people here on earth right now, so I guess it's good to me to, to remain in the flesh. But he was really wanting to go to heaven here. And also in the, the Acts account of Stephen's death, so Stephen was the, the first martyr in the New Testament church. Right before he dies, he says, Lord, receive my spirit. So I don't think Stephen was thinking he was going to soul sleep for a while. He knows he was going right into the presence of God. So we're ushered into heaven, into the presence of God, but is this our final destination? It is not. This place is called the intermediate state or intermediate heaven. It's awesome, but it's not our final landing place. And so what's going on there right now? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about it, but it does give us some clues, so I'm going to hit a few bullet points here. We're definitely conscious, and we definitely can communicate and recognize other people. In Matthew 17, when Jesus is transfigured, we see Moses and Elijah appear, and they're talking to Jesus, and Peter recognizes them. And also in 2 Samuel 12:23, David is speaking about um, his infant son that had died, and said, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So David assumed that even though his, his infant son had died, that he would recognize him someday in heaven. And also, if we look back in the Lazarus parable we just read in Luke, Abraham, Lazarus, and the rich man are all recognizable. And so what kind of body will we have in this intermediate heaven? Well, we, we have even a little less on that, but um, if we look at Revelation um, 6 9. This is the passage where um, John sees the martyrs of the church up in heaven. And so I'm going to read uh, beginning, well, we'll start in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And so it doesn't describe them as bodies, it describes them as souls, but it also describes them later on as wearing white. So we're going to have some kind of clothing, but it, the Bible never describes these as bodies, and so, you know, we can kind of infer what this may or may not look like, but, um, and I'll go on and read uh, verse 10 here. So they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And again, they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Um, who were those to be killed as they themselves had been. And so this gives us a little insight, too, of what we're going to be able to see in heaven. So, again, not super clear. The Bible just never comes out and says, hey, if you're in heaven, you're going to see what's going on on earth. But obviously these martyrs seemed to know what was going on. And if put this in context, this is during the tribulation period. Um, There was some crazy stuff going on on earth, and there was a lot of Christians being martyred um, just solely because they were believers in Christ. And also... Um, one of my favorite passages here. We're going to go back to Job. Job, the first book, probably the oldest book in the Bible. And so this is Job 38, verse 4. And to, to put this one in context, too, so this is right after Job had been through a lot, right? Everybody's pretty familiar with Job and what he went through, uh, some serious affliction. And uh, so Job had just questioned kind of what God was doing, like, why me, God? 
And so this is part of what God responds to Job saying, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who, desert, who, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. A little sarcasm there, right? Uh, or who stretched the line upon it? On, which, on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone? In verse 7, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So this is an amazing scene here. So this is God talking back when he created the earth. And he's saying, The morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. So this is talking about God's heavenly host who was already created. We weren't created first. Um, But could you imagine if you're an angel or one of these created heavenly beings watching God create the earth? (laughs) I think we would have shouted for joy too and sang and done whatever. And so clearly they could see from heaven what was going on on earth, this, this amazing creation. And so we also see up in this intermediate heaven, um, we see music, uh, we see worship, and Jesus also tells the thief on the cross that it is paradise. So it's going to be pretty amazing in that part of it, but again, that's not our final destination. But before I get to that part, I need to set the stage a little bit with just some quick, really quick eschatology. So eschatology is just basically the study of end times, the study of things to come. Um, because that kind of sets the stage for for what's going to happen to us in the future. And so our church believes, and I think I I would say mainline Protestantism does, that the next event to happen to the church would be the rapture. And so rapture literally just means caught up. And so Jesus appears. He does not come down to the earth at this point, but he appears and just takes all the Christians right out of the earth. And so, and there's other views on this. There's mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, you know, if you believe in that, we can still be friends, that's fine, but uh, we believe in, in a pre-trib rapture, and so literally taken out of the earth before this tribulation period, which is a seven-year period where, to make a long story short, things get pretty crazy on earth. The, the judgment of God's judgments coming down on the earth, a lot of the people on earth die through that, and after that, Jesus does return. We receive new bodies when he does. Battle of Armageddon, um, Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into a lake of fire who are creating a lot of this chaos. Satan's bound for a thousand years. And at that point, Jesus sets up what's called the Millennial Kingdom. And so Jesus on earth reigning for, for a thousand years with us there and some other people that survived the tribulation. And then after that, um, Jesus lets Satan go for a little bit, starts some more trouble, and then eventually is defeated for good. And he's thrown into the lake of fire. And so let's talk about these new bodies that we're going to get um, when Jesus returns because they're, they're pretty great. Um, I'm going to read, go back to Philippians here. Sorry, a lot of scripture this morning. We're going to be bouncing around quite a bit. So that's why I didn't put anything on the screen or anything like that. There'd be, a, there'd be too much of it. Um, so Philippians 3.20 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And I'm going to jump to 1 John 3.2. And that says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know is when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And so 
what it's saying is we, the body we receive is going to be like Jesus' glorified body. And so this is the body that Jesus had after he was resurrected from the dead. And the Bible gives us actually some pretty good insight into this because we've got some recorded events that, um, of what Jesus was doing after he was resurrected on the earth for those 40 days. And so in John 21, we see Jesus, this is when he was by the shore, and he had made a fire, he had cooked breakfast, and he ate with the disciples. And so we can see him working with his hands. Um, we can assume from this and other passages that we'll have our senses. Um, he ate. That's cool, right? <laughs> Are we going to eat in heaven? Well, it seems like we do. Um, angels ate in the Old Testament. Um, and they also, they recognized him. So we can see these new bodies um, aren't just entirely different from the ones we have now, but they are glorified. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls these bodies imperishable. So we see no pain, no death. And also in other places in Scripture, um, you know, people touch Jesus as well. So um, they're, they're going to be tangible. They're going to be something like what we've got right now, but just much, much better. And this is my favorite part. These bodies seem to have extra-dimensional properties. And so if we look at what Jesus was doing after the resurrection, we see him disappear in front of the disciples in Luke 24. We see him appear in front of the disciples in John 20, but despite um, the Bible clearly saying the doors were locked where they were. And in Acts 1.9, the Bible says that he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So here it seems like he flies and then he disappears. I think I could get used to that. I think that's pretty cool. So how old will this version of ourselves be? Well, again, the Bible doesn't, doesn't tell us, but Jesus' resurrected body was 30, around 33 years old, uh, give or take. And so Maybe that's a good guess, but I'd be okay with that, even right now, right? I mean, some of you that are older than 33 out there, I, I would trade in the, this version to my 33-year-old version any day, even if it wasn't glorified. Um, but <laughs> So we're, we're, um, we're moving down the line here. So after the thousand-year reign, God lets uh, Satan go for a little bit, and then again, like I said, he's, he's defeated eventually. And it's probably at this point where Christians are judged by God. And you might say, well, what in the world? Um, we're not judged by God, are we? Well, no, not for sin. Um, the Bible's clear, and you've heard it from this stage uh, well, for over 200 years, right? <laughs> um, that when we're saved, we trust on Christ. We are, we're forgiven from our sin forever. And Jesus does not hold that against us, and, and we are forgiven in his, his sight. However, we will be judged for heavenly rewards. And this makes logical sense, doesn't it? I mean, should, say, should the thief on the cross receive the same reward as like the Apostle Paul? You know, somebody that just got saved at the last minute or somebody that had pretty much a lifetime almost of, of serving God. You know, it, again, it kind of makes sense. And so the Bible does speak to this um, quite a bit. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether for good or for evil. So done in the body, like the body of believers. And um, 1 Corinthians, let me get there. 1 Corinthians 3.12 says this. Now if anyone builds on the foundation, um, speaking of the prior verses, speaking about Christ as being this foundation, um, with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, 
because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. So this, this really explains it well, I think, too. So it's clearly it's saying, you know, you're still saved. It's not like you can, you're losing your salvation or anything here. But again, your work is going to be judged. Um, again, what, what exactly that means, um, these rewards, we, we really don't know whether it's stuff or a higher standing or more influence. or We really don't know what that is, but clearly the Bible does teach this, this reward. And uh, one more passage uh, specifically on this. So Matthew six nineteen through 21, this is Jesus talking. So really, anytime we can get Jesus' own words pertaining to something, that's really the best place to go. So Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And also, um, I'm going to mention Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 here. This is a, a very familiar verse. Probably most of you have heard it over and over again. But um, we, we kind of miss verse 10 a lot of times. We say Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but 10 is really important in talking about this, this works idea. And so um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith and not that of yourself. It is a gift of God, not works, lest anyone should boast. So, again, we're clearly saved by grace, not by anything we can do. But verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, talking about God saving us, but then saying, Hey, I, want, I need you to do this stuff for me now that you're saved. In my kingdom, working on my behalf in, in the kingdom for the kingdom of God on earth. And so, again, we... We need to be prepared to walk in what's, what God has for us to serve him. And so that's, called, that's also called the Bema Seat Judgment. If you hear that, that's kind of another name for that judgment for Christians. And then what happens after that? Well, God destroys everything, <laughs> which is uh, pretty, pretty interesting here. So I'm going to jump to, this is 1 Peter 3.10. So I got the wrong one here. I went to, I'm sorry, 2 Peter 3.10. 2 Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, <clears throat> and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Um, and it also says with fervent heat in uh, other translations. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Wow. That's some serious global warming, right? <laughs> that is nothing like uh, what they talk about now. That's, that's global warming. Um, so he literally just, um, just burns up everything. And then <clears throat> we can jump to uh, Revelation 21. If you want to turn there, you can. Um, because the rest of the, most of the rest of our time will be here. So I'm going to get a quick drink. <clears throat> So, <clears throat> Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So, no more oceans, but God creates it all over again here. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
So literally heaven coming down, new capital city, Jerusalem coming down onto a physical earth. And I heard a voice, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he said, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Uh, <clears throat> this is really important, the, the wording here, I think. He doesn't say I'm making new everything, like totally different. He's making what's here brand new. Um, when you read, especially the Old Testament, it, it seems to always be pointing like to this new Garden of Eden, like this new earth, this new creation. And it's also interesting, too, that the, the Hebrew grammar, when God is creating Eden, it said it was very good, but the, those Hebrew words don't, don't um, really depict completion. And so we can kind of guess that this new earth is even better than Eden and perfect. And, um, and it's going to be, again, a physical earth, kind of like what we have now, but just way, way better. And so if we jump down to verse 22 here, we can get a little insight, a little more of what might be going on here. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city, and and by the way, the city, um, jump back just a little bit. In the previous verses gives uh, all the measurements of this new Jerusalem, the capital city of earth. It's incredible. Like, it is huge. It is bigger than any city on earth right now. It is, like, way taller. Like, the height of it is, is amazing. And again, the earlier verses says, this is where God is going to dwell. Like, God is going to be physically there. And so, I don't know if some of you have been to, like, a big city. Um, before I had kids, I actually used to do things that were fun. Um, no offense. Um, but, <laughs> um, so we, we've been to New York a couple times, uh, you know, doing the uh, touristy stuff. And, and it's exciting. I mean, you fly in, you see the big buildings, and, um, you know, you get there, you go to, you know, Manhattan, get out, there's hustle and bustle, there's things going on, you go to shows and museums and eat and all that kind of stuff. You know, I think of that and then I think of this new city. Well, what am I going to go in New Jerusalem? Well, I'm going to go actually see Christ. I think that's better, right? (laughs) I think we can all agree that that would be pretty amazing. Um, Literally, our faith will be made sight in those days. Um, But going back to our verse here, and so, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Well, that's interesting. So there's nations. There's nations on earth now, right? And this, verse 26, is really, I think, really important. If I read a lot of other translations here, and I think the, this is the New English translation of, of verse 26 because I think it really um, brings out what the, the writer's trying to say here. Um, that says, They will bring grandeur and wealth in, of the nations into it. So grandeur and wealth, what is that? Well, stuff, right? Um, things that are going on in the nations. And so if we kind of extrapolate that out a little bit, well, what's going on? There must be commerce, there must be, there's art, there's things being made, there's people with jobs, we're doing things, we're, 
um, you know, doing a lot of things, and these kings are bringing things to the new Jerusalem. And so, I mean, is this going to be boring? No, I don't think so. I think um, there's going to be a lot going on. We're going to have things to do, and maybe sports. I hope. I, I don't see any reason why there wouldn't be sports. I'd like to play 18 holes with Moses someday, maybe. Why not? Um, and so we're going to be we're going to be busy. And not only that, we're going to have even more responsibility. Um, I wish I had more time to kind of develop this idea, but um, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6 here. And beginning in verse 1. So the context of this, the Corinthian church, if you really read First and Second Corinthians in the background, man, it was a mess. I mean, that, that church in Corinth was, <laughs> they had some issues, but... One of them was they were just suing each other all the time, bringing each other to court, uh, among other things. And so Paul says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to, to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Like, why are you going to a, basically an earthly court um, for this stuff? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are, you're incompetent, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters per- pertaining to this life? So he's saying, you know, why are you guys messing around doing all this stuff to each other? Like, you're missing the big picture. And this ruling, judging angels, it, that word also means more like ruling over. So basically saying that, like, on this new, this new earth, our station is kind of like God, us, angels. And so we're going to be pretty responsible. What that actually means, like, hey, I need an angel to go do something for this. Again, I don't know. The, the Bible doesn't say exactly what that means, but it clearly does say that we're, again, verse 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels or, or again, rule over? And so this isn't, this shouldn't be that unexpected. If we, if we read the Old Testament, there's hints of this throughout the Old Testament and also um, if you look into uh, it's called divine council theology, we see this heavenly court throughout the Old Testament where God actually takes input from heavenly beings and makes does action, and it's which is really incredible. Again, I wish I had time just to talk about that because <laughs> those implications are amazing that God would bother doing something like that, you know, for uh, from created beings. Um, but that could be you know some of what we're looking for, and again we see this divine counsel, this heavenly court all through the New Testament. First Kings, we see it. Uh, we see it in Daniel clearly. Um, Psalm 82, Psalm 89. So we, we see all these references to this idea. And so we can look forward, and in just my own opinion, there's some kind of collaboration between the saints that are saved and, and God and getting things done. Again, what, what that actually means, um, we got to just look forward to that. Because <laughs> again, there's there's a lot of things that aren't in the Bible, so, I mean, I'm, I'm touching the surface here, I think. Um, there's just so much more that, that we don't know, but what is, I think, just going to be mind-blowing um, when it happens. Um, and so, one, one analogy, uh, maybe some of you out there would remember this better than me, but I remember, uh, it was a few years back, but, and I can't remember if it was a pastor or guest speaker, but they had a rope, and they had, like, the end of it, like, the inch was... Uh, like a piece of tape, the rope went down. And he said, picture this rope just going on forever and never stopping. And he goes, this little part is your life on earth. You know, think about that. And I don't think, 
honestly, for me, I don't think about that enough. Um, if we're not thinking about heaven on a regular basis, we're just we're missing what we're supposed to do here. Um, because again, our life is maybe 80, 90, 100 years if we're lucky. That's pretty good. But then eternity on the other side. So, you know, I for me, again, I get bogged down in stuff sometimes and probably put a little too much focus in things that are, like Paul said, hey, what are you messing around with this stuff for? Um, maybe too much football or basketball, I don't know. But <laughs> um, stuff like that. But again, just trying to be more heavenly minded. Like, what am I doing on earth to, to serve God? Um, am I doing enough? And um, because, like I said, it, it's, uh, it matters to God's kingdom, what we're doing on earth, and also um, in heaven it matters as well. So let's close in prayer. Father, I just I thank you for this time this morning that we can just look at your word. Um, Lord, just thank you for giving us your word. Um, Lord, it gives us so many answers, and it, go, it, it does give us a lot to look forward to. God, your kingdom is going to be amazing. It's going to be just fantastic, and it's just something that all believers really need to think about and look forward to. And, and we just thank you so much for that gift that you've given us. If we have put our trust in you, um, we know that that's going to be our, our future someday, that you are going to take us up into heaven, and, and we will dwell with you forever. And, and again, it's going to be just an amazing time. And Lord, we just thank you um, for doing that. We thank you for saving us. And um, Lord, just give us a good week and bring us all back together next week together. In Jesus' name, amen.